Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Caught up today with Mike Young, MD and CEO at Vimy Resources, Uranium Junior Developer with assets in Western Australia. Um, we catch up with them with regards to licensing, permitting and the like. Uh, obviously, they've raised 18.5 million bucks recently, plus they're doing a share purchase plan, which hopefully adds another 3 million to the coffers. That gives them some optionality and uh, the luxury of time. So if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, the company's plans, the company itself, and indeed Mike, you can find that cruxinvestor.com forward slash club where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis we've got commentary from experts from around the world uh, on a bunch of companies and commodities including our weekly uranium show that's really fascinating we've also got training courses on there and we do summaries of all the interviews that we do just to save you some time because we know you are busy people but most excitingly of all there's a wonderful thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice friendly and safe environment if that sounds nice to you, and I hope it does, because there's none of that judgment trolling and abuse you see elsewhere, go and join them, cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. There's a bit of a waiting list, uh, but it's well worth the wait. Uh, so cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Mike, how are you doing, sir? Very well. It's good to see you again, finally, after all this time. Well, I'm just glad you're alive, Mike. I heard you uh, had a bit of, bit of a fall, a bit of a face plant. I did a Christmas present to myself. I was down south and uh, just typically riding in the hills and going down a hill and then going up the other side, sprinting very hard. And uh, the chain slipped. And of course, when your chain disappears, you um, go forward. And I went forward and went from 50 kilometers an hour to zero on my face. So uh, fortunately, I didn't sustain any any structural damage, just a bit of bark off my nose, my chin, my lip. Uh, made me look more rugged, and uh, I got a new bike out of the deal. So, you know, silver lining kind of guy. It was a, a positive outcome in the end, but yeah, it certainly paid for it. Well, luckily, luckily the ground broke your fall, eh? Yes. Well, it's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> and I was wearing a helmet. So, you kiddies out there, you just make sure you wear a helmet when you ride your bike. Very good. Very good. I, I agree with that. I'm getting into cycling myself, so I, I need all the tips I can get. So, bike. Don't let your chain get uh, wrapped around the gears and wear a helmet. Helmet. Good. Yeah, and it, maintenance, bike maintenance is the key thing. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a good sport. You know, it um, keeps you fit. Uh, there's a lot of camaraderie. It's good for your head. Uh, well, when you're not landing on it, but it's good for your mental health as well. Um, you know, the endorphins, they're, they're just, um, you get addicted to them, you know. And uh, as you go on, you know, you'll find you'll start, you'll start, saying, well, I'm going to do a 60K ride, then I'm going to do a 100K ride, and then I'm going to do 160 because that's 100 miles. And then you're doing cyclosportives with friends. And then the next thing, you know, when COVID lifts, you, you, um, I envy you because you are in in outside of London, but you've got access to Europe. You know, within a half a day's travel, you're in some of the best riding spots in the world. And you're in the same time zone as the races and watching them. You know, there's just, you're in Cycling Central and there's- well, uh, yeah. France and Italy. France and Italy is where you want to be. They've got the weather, they've oh, got the roads, got, got the um, support, and people don't drive like lunatics near bikes like they do here. There's a lot more respect for cyclists in those countries because, um, you know, they they grew up with cycling and cycling used to be their transportation. You know, there's an interesting show I saw on TV not long ago. It was the Morris Minor. I think that was like your first British-built um, uh, used to have one. Used to have one. On mass. Yeah. 
Well, that, that, that was the end of cycling. Raleigh Cycles used to be one of the biggest countries, uh, biggest companies in the world. You know, cycling was how people got around back in the day, and then they invented a cheap car. So we all had a rally. Maybe cycles now. will come back, and everyone has to buy EVs because they're so bloody expensive. So great. and you got e-bikes now, right? And they're just fantastic. So the number of people I see out cycling who otherwise wouldn't be has just been great. E-bikes are awesome. I actually used some when I was in um, used one when I was in Sydney. It was, it's just wonderful, but. But cheating, it's not, it's, the purists would, would, would hate us for it. But we shouldn't talk about bikes because I, I've, having got into it, I agree with you, you kind of get sucked into that world. And uh, there's lots of moving parts, literally, that uh, you want to sort of try and understand. Um, we should try and talk about uranium, though, today. Should we, should we do that? I think your shareholders would be quite pleased if we did. Absolutely. And uh, I think an e-bike is only as clean as the power used to charge it. And if you're using nuclear power, then it's a clean vehicle, right? Uh, I, I like the idea of, of a nuclear-charged e-bike. Sounds good, doesn't it? You go faster. You go a lot faster to the moon and back. Um, right, uranium. Um, why don't we kick off first, give us a one-minute overview, just an update, because we haven't spoken since September, you know? That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. There's, and, you know, obviously the market's changed a lot. Uh, we just finished an $18.5 million placement. We've got a $3 million SPP out there, which by the time this goes to air, will have closed and you know really oversubscribed. Uh, you know we're we're moving towards early works on the project in the second half of this year. Uh, we've done a lot of work in the background with uh, Mogul Rock. We've looked at some some of the the processes, the ion exchange inside the metallurgical plant. We've done some work on that. Um, but by and large, you know, it's about pushing the project forward. And and you know Scott Hyman in America and I've spent a long time on the phone with. With utilities, we know they're still sitting on the sidelines, uh, but I think it's really important to keep them abreast of where we're at, what our potential timeline could be to production, so that they can start putting that into their calculations. Because, you know, in reality, there aren't that many new mines out there as a result of the long uh, drought that we've just had. So um, that's Mogul Rock, and then with with ARP, um, you know, we we last field season because of COVID, we couldn't get rigs up there. Uh, we barely got people up into the bush because um, the lockdowns here ended in around July or, or August. And so we were able to do a small field season. We got multiple drilling targets up there. Uh, but again, we've done some test work in the background, so we just haven't been sitting back doing nothing. We would like to get some rigs up there this year, uh, but with the gold boom, copper boom, nickel boom, lithium boom, all the booms going on in Western Australia, um, that might be difficult this year. Uh Companies are still reluctant to cross borders because of COVID. So each of the states have their own lockdowns. So you could have um, a drill rig up in the Northern Territory and suddenly you have a case in WA and it might have a two or two, two week, four week lockdown and suddenly the guys up in the Northern Territory are trapped. So, you know, crossing state boundaries in Australia is still a little bit fraught. Um, so we're not, we're not really 100% sure if we're going to get drilling done up in the Alligator River this year. Um, and then we have a tenement block uh, directly northeast of Motor Rock uh, under a company called Velo um, that has uh, the potential for base metals. Um, and so we may do some work on that this year. Certainly, we want to do some uh, airborne geophysics and generate some targets. That's 150 kilometers of tenements in an area that's never been explored. Um, and then, of course, talking about base metals, uh, earlier this calendar year, we released some results from um, it's ongoing base metal studies uh, at Mogul Rock and, and um, you know, current base metal prices at, I think, copper is over $10,000 a ton now. Um, 
you know, the base metals at Motor Rock uh, certainly can can defray some of the costs between four and five dollars. So that's something we're looking at as well. So we've been we've been busy, you know, even though even though the market's been pretty static, um, we've we've kept the guys going and kept working on improving marginally improving each of the each of the projects um, rather than just sitting and letting them gather dust. But that's the key word, isn't it? It's, it's, it's been fairly marginal because you haven't, until you did this raise, had much ca- cash to do anything. It was really it was a case of conservation. So waiting for the timing. Um, I think we can agree since the beginning of the year, the, the timing element is working for you. The market's doing the heavy lifting for you. Um, I think when we spoke in September, you're at four cents. You're up to what sixteen and a half today, seventeen, something like that. Yeah, sixteen and a half touched. I think we touched eighteen at one point today. So, you know, we're we're as the tide comes in, all the boats are rising. We we've had our share price has appreciated more than most. Um, we've been, you know, I've been busy getting the message out. We've we've always been on message. We've never veered from the message. Um, uh, and. You know, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of good companies out there, and um, I think I think as we saw with the the recent spate of of raisings, um, you know, Paladin was raising several hundred million. Uh, Banner and Boss, all of our peers are raising money, um, and there's plenty out there. I mean, our our raise was oversubscribed, um, as was everyone else's. And I think I think uh, you know we've seen several false dawns. I think this one is sustainable. Right. So let's let's talk about what you told the market then, because you know you you have you have seen tremendous growth four times, right? From a very low base, admittedly, right? So what did you go and say to the market, and what did they react to? Well, give me some money because I'm going to go and do what? Yeah. So I think um, one of the one of the things we've got is we've got a full DFS on the Mogul Rock project with all of our. Um, licenses, so all of our uh, mining licenses, so it's uh, all of the tenure is there. Uh, that's a key thing. Having done the DFS, we've got the metrics we can speak to. We don't shy away from the fact that fifty-five dollars is the price that excites us. Um, you know, we certainly we certainly do want to have a five in front of it. Um, one of the things we did talk about when raising the money was when you talk about the use of funds. Um, it was about having enough money in your working capital that you can be strategic about your contracting. So when you have a, a, a stressed balance sheet, you, you may be tempted to go out and get the first contract that comes along. And those contracts will, right now they're in the threes, they'll come into the fours, they'll come into the fives. So, you know, when they're in the fours, the, the NPV break even for Mogul Rock is 36. So if you're at 46, 48, you might look at it and go, well, actually, you know, we can write a contract and make some money. Um, but you want to write a contract because you want to announce it. And so, so that then gives you share price appreciation so you can raise money. Now that we've raised this money, we do have working capital that allows us to be more strategic about the contracts. And, you know, right now, it's probably fair to say we won't sign a contract unless it has a five in front of it. So that stress has gone away, and it means that we can, we can be more strategic. Now, if you had listened to, um, as you said, you did the Cameco um, quarterly call, and I really recommend your listeners listen to that every quarter because it is an absolute amazing source of intel. Um, you know, those guys said much the same thing. There's no point mining a, an asset at a low price. Uh, and, and now with that raise, it allows us to uh, to do that. Now, we also want to do some um, some early works up in Mulga Rock. So we have a, um, a ministerial approval called a ministerial statement 1046, if your listeners want to look it up. And um, one of the conditions was to have commenced work within five years. So our intention is to start early works on the significant early works on the project 
um, in the second half of this year. So that'll be part of the use of funds. Um, wanted to do some work on alligator. I uh, haven't decided what that'll look like yet because of, of drillery availability. Uh, and then we want to do some work, as I said, on Velo. So there's, you know, there's a, a, a program of work to do, uh, but certainly we want to ensure that we we have enough working capital to be very strategic about uh, about contracts. So it talks about five years from when? December 16th uh, of this year. Five years starting from December 16th. No, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, so December 16th, 2016 was when the ministerial approval was granted. And that had uh, several conditions in it. We had to do the conditional environmental management plans. I think there were eight of them. Uh, and then uh, clause three of that particular ministerial statement says that um, you have to have commenced work on the project within five years. And then you write us a letter and tell us you've commenced and that's the condition. So we intend on meeting that condition um, and that'll be all of our ministerial conditions done. So that's a case of just in time then? Um, yeah, well, six months, you know, so... Um, but, you know, that's all in train. Uh, we've got, you know, here's the, the minutes from yet another meeting um, for the early works. Uh, so we've got a, a mining engineer who worked with us during the DFS. He's uh, consulting and he's come back. Uh, Tony, Tony Chamberlain, one of our directors, was our previous COO. He's involved in the process. So it's a matter of getting on site and starting, starting early works on site. Um, and that's certainly what we'll, we'll, we'll certainly do it. Um, uh, it's just a matter of whether we start in July or August. Okay, so let's go with it. So I think this is the big talking point for people. Like you obviously yep. one gone and raised some money, so the market is positive about what you're mm -hmm. saying. But at the same time, yep. like I say, you've kind of left it to kind of the last six months of the five-year term to kind of get going because now you've got the money to be able to do it. So the conditions are based. On, one of the main conditions is substantive work. How is that qualified? Who qualifies it? How do you know if you are going to be able to deliver substantive work? What's it mean? Uh, we, we do. We, de we determine what it is. Was it uh, $1 million or $10 million? $1 million or $10 million? Yeah. It's area cleared. Okay. So the, the ministerial statement is about um, environmental disturbance. So it's about the area cleared, but there's nothing in the ministerial statement that defines what the substantial works are. So basically um, the condition is that we write a letter um, showing evidence that we've started substantial works. And I can assure you that the work that we're, we're going to do um, is certainly substantial. It's not about going down, it's about going out. And there's a lot of work to do. I mean, um, and importantly, Matt, this is all work that we had prescribed in our DFS. So this is this is about um, improving the roads, uh, clearing the airstrip, clearing the, the site for the camp, uh, clearing the site for one of our uh, communications towers, which is something we have to do quite early in the process, um, and then commencing the clearing, um, the clearing and topsoil removal of, of the first pit that we plan to mine. So that's a that's a lot of work. Um, and then what happens is is sometime in that period we write to the department and say, hey, we've started, and that's the condition met. Okay, and that's the only condition as far as you're concerned that you need to meet. So Western Australia is saying to you, we want another uranium mine. Yes, that's right. That's the only condition. That's the last condition in that ministerial approval that we have to meet. Yep. Okay. Because I saw um, you, you put out an announcement about an environmental management plan, which is, uh, I think I think Julian possibly managed for you. Yep. That is approved? Done? That's all good? Yeah. That, so there were eight of them, uh, and they had to do with um, Aboriginal heritage, they had to do with water, air, 
uh, groundwater. And then the last one, which we actually, you might find this amusing because um, your country invented Yes Minister. Um, so we, the last one that we had to do was a conditional environmental management plan for an above ground tailings facility. Now, we had planned to do one way back in the pre-feasibility study, but when we did the definitive feasibility study, we decided that we wanted all the tailings to be below ground because tailings management is really, really important. And particularly what happened in Brazil and what you saw recently in Florida with that, that pot, um, phosphate mine, um, you know, tailings management is really critical. So we want to put all our tailings below ground, which is what we intend on doing. So, uh, you know, we wrote to the government and said, well, look, we're not building that above ground tailings facility. So we don't see the need to do an environmental management plan for a tailings facility that we won't build. But they said, no, no, it's one of the conditions of your ministerial statement. You have to do a management plan for it. And we went, okay, then. <laughs> but it was a bit frustrating because, you know, the government, the bureaucrats in, in the departments are really overworked. There's so much going on in Western Australia. Um, we felt that they would, they would, um, you know, just say, look, that's fine. You're not doing it. We'll just make a note. But look, to their credit, um, they, they are being very good about ensuring that the approvals are, you know, watertight because obviously, well, every mining uh, project anywhere in the world now has, has people who are opposed to it and, you know, trying to have a crack legally. Um, so what they're doing is they're actually helping us make sure that the approvals, you know, really watertight. And look, we, we respect that and we get that. And we went through the process and um, yeah, we got that last management plan for the tailings dam we won't build. Brilliant. <laughs> it is good. It is. Uh, hello, man. Yes. Hello, man. Thank you very much. So um, you're still outstanding uh, mining, mining proposal, mining, so basically the mining plan needs to be agreed. Yeah. So, so there's the mining, the works approval, which we need uh, when we get into the ore body, the mining proposal, uh, project management plan, which is safety, mine closure plan. And those are all in train. And those are um, not ministerial approvals. Those are departmental approvals. And the guys um, are sending back the last load of, um, so they ask you lots of questions and, you know, how are you doing this and how are you doing this? Can you explain this? And that process is ongoing. Um, so they'll be done. You know, we're thinking probably by the end of June, they should be finished. So how, how, do you, how does this marry up with regards to what the politicians are saying? So politicians don't seem very pro-uranium mining, but you're going through a kind of, I guess, fairly rigorous uh, process um, here, and it seems to be advancing. You seem to be getting the things that you want to do. We've spoken with Julian in the past, and he's explained that it is just a process. Do you think the politicians will step in and stop this from ever being a mine? Or is it a case of if you go through the hoops that you're meant to go through, you'll get it over the line? That's a really good question, Matt. And I know it's one we get a lot. Um, no, I don't think they will uh, for a couple of reasons. So you've got to remember that um, there were four mines in Western Australia that were approved prior to March 2017. That was when the current Labor government was elected. So when they came into office, they spent a long time through the office of the state solicitor looking at the legal position about these ministerial statements that had been granted, and they had been granted to Toro for Lakeway, Kintyre, which is um, Cameco, Ulyri, and ourselves. And, you know, as it turns out, we're going to be the only one to have met the condition to start within five years, but they were quite, um, they were quite adamant that we had the right to move forward and that, and this was in the release that the minister made, 
that the, that the government could not use the secondary approvals process to frustrate our project. And that that is legal advice from the Office of the State Solicitor. Okay, so the, there's nothing that they will try to do to delay this and frustrate your ability to move this forward, as far as you're concerned? No, we don't believe so. And it's one thing to sort of believe that, but um, Julian, you know, when he was... When we were, as you say, back in September, we didn't have much money and the share price was four cents. We were doing a lot of cash preservation. And one of the things was Julian was working part time. Now, he had another job with another company in Western Australia that was developing a potash mine. And he said that the, the frustration that we were seeing in the approvals were even worse for that than they were for us. So, and this came you know, from other companies that we dealt with in gold and lithium and various other things everyone is finding that the approvals process is very slow. And part of the problem is that um, the people inside the mines departments are being offered silly amounts of money to go work for BHP and Rio. And then of course, they've got to bring new people in and you've got to get them trained up. We've been very lucky in that we've got a really good case officer working with us and he understands the project, got a good relationship with Julian um, and Paula Arthur, who's our environmental engineer. Um, so, so when we look at the process that's been going on, we actually see that we're not being treated any differently. And, and you know, we're on the lookout for that because um, while the minister is not allowed in our system, and I think your system too, um, he's not allowed to actually go down below what's called the director general of his department, the CEO of his department. But, you know, we're not naive. We know that if there's a minister who is, you know, dead against uranium mining, they may just try and slow us down a bit to make the minister happy. But as it turned out after the last election, which occurred this year, um, that that minister of the environment has been replaced by uh, a lady who came from the hospital unions. They're pro, you know, they use nuclear medicine. She's not known to be anti-nuclear. The premier is not anti-nuclear. Mines minister is not anti-nuclear. So most of the leadership group aren't anti-nuclear. There's, as, as with all these things, sort of a fringe element of the left, who got that happened to get that policy up because there was no point back then fighting it. But what's happened globally is, as we were talking about, and I'm sure you talk on your show, um, there's been a huge sea change globally. And it really started with the election of Joe Biden in the States. And when you look at, you know, when all these, I was looking at the chart earlier before we, we came to air. Um, when you look at when, when did all the equities take off? Well, it was December 3rd. And what happened on December 3rd, there was that bipartisan bill came out of a Senate committee in the States saying we need to support nuclear power in America. We need to put money into buying uranium. We need to put money into getting, you know, Metropolis up and running again because we're being outpaced by the Chinese and the Russians. So we need to do something. And now you're seeing more and more of that coming out of the States from Biden and Kerry. And that was where the equities took off because remember, the price hasn't gone up yet. The price has not moved, yet the equities, the tides come in on the equities. So I always joke that we're going to have a uranium boom, boom, but I'm not sure that's a great metaphor for uranium. But we've had that first, yeah, that's right. We've had the first one, which is the equities boom, and we've yet to see the price boom. So, you know, you can sheet it all home to that event. You know, Trump was never anti-nuclear, but never, nobody really knew, knew what he stood for. Whereas Biden, he's a professional politician. He understands the power of policy. So... You know, I think, um, you know, when you've got people who have been anti-nuclear all their lives coming out saying, well, look, we need to look at nuclear because we are in a climate emergency. Doesn't matter what you think about that as a scientist. What matters is that policymakers now accept that we need to do something 
and nuclear has become a big part yeah, of but that I, discussion. I, I agree with you. We, we talk about it on our weekly uranium show. You know, lots of positive moves, uh, lots of market, lots of marketing going mm-hmm. on. A lot of the junior equities have moved significantly. You know, since the beginning of the year, which is all fantastic. But I, I want to stick local though, um, because yeah, so- again, so Western Australia has had has had this history of being sort of anti uranium mining. You're saying now that the politicians that are now in place, the civil servants that are now in place are pro-uranium mining in Western Australia. That's what you're telling me. So have you got an idea of when these remaining licenses that you will need to get started will be given to you? So a couple of things. Um, I wouldn't say the West Australian government is pro-nuclear now. What I would say is they're less anti-nuclear. So right. it's quite a fine line. Which we, I know, but that was that was my that. point. You know, what's going on? Because yeah. if I look at Germany, they're anti, they're anti-nuclear. There's a stance, but it doesn't matter what's happening in the states. So I'm interested yeah. what's happening in Western Australia. What's what is their position? It's less anti-nuclear. That's okay, that's good. Well, that let's, let's put it this way: in Germany, the leaders are ideologically anti-nuclear. In Western Australia, the leaders are not ideologically West, uh, anti-nuclear. You have a small fringe who happen to get a policy up at a at a uh, a Labour love-in before an election, but the new the policy that they have was brought to the party by the then leader of the opposition, who is now the Premier, Mark McGowan. So what I'm saying to you about, you know, the Globe and the Democrats is that I think that's going to filter through. But what I can tell you is that there is no sign within the government that they're going to, provided we meet our, um, uh, the the, the the conditions under that ministerial statement, there is absolutely no sign have we seen um, that they're going to stand in the way in any way. Great. So coming back to the question on timing, when's it happening? Uh, so the secondary approvals, which is the mines approval, we we think uh, June 30 is the date that we've sort of got in our schedule for that. Now, uh, we, there is work that we can start on site without those approvals um, get coming through. Uh, so if they're a month late, that's fine. We don't plan to be on site till July or August in any event. So we're we're very sure we'll have those approvals in time to start the early works that we intend on starting. Okay. And what gives you that confidence? Uh, just the dialogue we have with the departments. So we're going through a process. So it's not a it's not a black box. You don't just send an application, wait for it to come back. It's a it's a very iterative process. You send it in, they give you comments, you give comments, they give comments, and we're coming to the end of that process. We've done this often enough and and the other guys in the office have done this often enough that we know where we are in the process. We're coming down towards the towards the end of it. So you're coming to the end of the process. And so those people, those civil servants, they've told you you're going to get this. That's what they've said. Well, there's a there's there's actually there's actually a schedule that's uh, legislated. So we know where we are in the schedule. There's you know you've got so many days to do your bit. They've got so many days to do their bit. So we can see the end. Okay. And that's you know that's that's as as much information as we have. And, and so based on that, our feeling is that we'll have those approvals um, towards the end of June. Right. And it, as you said at the beginning, you, this money that you've raised allows you to be more strategic. Yes. And by strategic, I mean, we can wait. It's fine. We've got the capital we need to move this project forward at the pace we determine. That's with respect to marketing. Well, it's respect to marketing, but it's also respect to you're not going to run out of cash. So if it does take a little bit longer, do you care? Well, as long as we hit our, our target of late in the year, no, that's right. We don't. Okay. And you can get an awful lot done. You can get an awful lot done in a very short period of time. So, you know, we've built a lot of um, safety into it, into the timeline. 
uh, and, and luckily we've got a very good uh, earth moving contractor who have people available. That was one of the risks, but that risk is now gone because trying to hire people in Western Australia at the moment is very difficult. Um, you know, just everyone's busy. So, you know, we're lining the ducks up uh, and we, we expect to be underway and, and clearing uh, well inside the timeline that we've set. Okay. So, and given the number of um, ASX uh, companies out there who have raised money or in a similar position to you, um, why are people putting their money with you and not any of the other guys, on, just on the ASX, let alone the Canadians and North Americans? Well, they seem to be putting their money with everyone at the moment. I mean, when you look at the amount of money that's been raised um, on the ASX lately, it's it's been quite incredible. Um, you know, I think one of the things is we've been around for a long time. You know, we've developed Mogul Rock. Uh, we do have, as I say, all of our tenures. So, you know, we're lining lining up to get into production. There are a lot of companies that this happens every time there's a boom, they come out of the woodwork and then they, you know, start saying, we'll pop some ground, we're going to drill some holes. I mean, the difference is that we are going to be a miner. It's a matter of timing. You know, right now it looks like 2024 is probably when we'll be producing uranium. Um, I've done it before. A lot of the guys on the team have done it before. You know, so people know that what we're focused about is that ribbon cutting ceremony. In fact, I'll show you something. I hope it's a ribbon. I can find them. I've already bought the scissors. Fantastic. No expense spared. And the young lad that's going to cut the ribbon was a field assistant who worked for the company long before I came on board. He's a New Zealander. And I said to him, um, he eventually ended up going back to New Zealand because he wanted to go home. And I said to Tim, you know, in recognition of all the hard work you've done, I want you to be the guy cutting the ribbon. So that's how I think. That's how we think. Um, and that's that's what we project to people. We're about getting into production, and 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 you know, right now we got a one hundred and fifty million dollar market cap. If we're in production, it's going to be you know two three times that at least. Okay, well, but that's well, that's the big change psychologically here. So, you know, I've given you the opportunity today to tell me it's going to be tough, it's going to be difficult, but we'll kind of get there. And you're you're saying to me, don't worry, everything's in hand. Going to get all the licenses, approvals. Um, permits that we need to get this thing into production this year, it's all fine. That That's the big kind of change in dialogue narrative from you from September. Well, it's, it, that's true. And I think what's unlocked that is is just the way the market's changed and our ability to raise money is, has been the difference. Now, you know, we still would have had to do this and we may have had to raise money in, in, in less um, good ways, you know, with con notes and those sorts of things. It was something that we had to get done, um, you know, and if we were still looking at a 25 million market cap, we would have had to look at alternate funding techniques and, it, you know, it wouldn't have been as good an outcome for shareholders, but it should, certainly would have been a better outcome than losing your license to operate. So it was always our intent to move forward. The last time we spoke, we were a year away from, you know, instigating the program, uh, but we certainly would have, would have had to do this in some way. Uh, but I think, you know, if, if things hadn't have improved on the equity side of things, it would have been a lot more stressful on the balance sheet. Oh, for, for sure. I think the money can can cover up a multitude of sins for sure, but it also can free you up to do the things that you want to do. I mean, how, how are you feeling now? Because again, we spoke in September, we spoke earlier in the, earlier in the year um, last year. You, you were pretty stressed about this. You were you, the lights were on, but just. So what's going to change? Are you are you are you going to are you going to be as tight with your money uh, going forward, or do you think well actually no now we've got it let's go and spend it? 
No, I think, you know, I'm going to stay on the salary sacrifice for lots of reasons. One is it's, you know, it's good, it's good use of the funds. Uh, you know, it's not cash flow coming out. The other guys, it'll be there for an option for them. I mean, obviously moving into early works, we do have to spend more money. But I think, you know, when you come out of several years of the smell of an oily rag, you don't suddenly jump, jump into the new swimming pool. You kind of, you kind of have it ingrained into your, into your psyche. And I think, um, it is, other people's money, uh, after all, um, and so we we will maintain that um, uh, spend uh, the the what's the word I'm looking for um, uh, our, our, our discipline discipline, discipline okay. with our spending. Um, you know, I certainly going to stay on the salary sacrifice. The other guys will. Uh, Julian's coming back a bit more fuller time. He's not totally full time, but you know, um, he's taking on new roles as the. Approvals wind down. We've got ESG is now becoming important. Uh, Aboriginal heritage is important. You know, there's a lot of issues um, that a lot of other issues that we need to be across. And, and certainly Julian's the guy to do that, plus all the work he's doing at WNA in terms of nuclear advocacy. Um, but we will stay disciplined on our spending for sure. Okay. But um, yes, I am a better mood, Matt. And part of that um, is also the fact that my daughter has finished high school. That was very stressful for all of us at home. And she's now in university and she's she's a much, much happier kid. And um, it probably wasn't something I could talk about last September, but we went through a really tough year with her last year. And, um, you know, I, I didn't realize I was stressed, but you don't know it looking out. But certainly you you picked up on it. Um, and, you know, we're, we're you know, your personal life affects work. Work affects your personal life. And, yeah, we my wife and I went through – from September to December was a it was a really tough year, and and now she's out of high school. She's just a different kid, and we're just so happy that she's happy. You know, I'm well, I'm happy for you. I've got I've got two daughters. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, well, look, Mike, look, I appreciate the update. We haven't spent much time talking about the projects because you know I don't think much has really changed on those. And if anyone wants to talk about the projects, listen to some of your other videos or look, listen to the last interview that we did. We'll put a link up. Um, I, I was just wanted to kind of hone in on what are the things that could stop you from moving forward. You're saying there's nothing going to stop us. We've got the cash. We're going to get these uh, licenses and permits. We're good to go. And the market, as you say, is raging. It is. Uh, the link between now and actually pushing Yellow Cake out the door is contracts. And, you know, this is this is a contract-led market. Funding will depend on contracts. And that's why we spend a lot of time and effort in the States, having Scott in the States, um, talking to utilities and understanding where they're at. Um, but what's been really interesting, Matt, is... The dialogue with the utilities is changing. Um, obviously, I can't give much away. Uh, give give something away. Give something away. As in, they're talking to everyone. They always talk to everyone. They want to know what is the potential of pounds coming out of ground and when. They, they do that with yeah. everyone, right? But give us some sense of, have they said to you when they're going to pull the trigger? People are speculating end of the year after WNA, you know, October-ish sort of time, but... Do they need to? Okay, that is one thing they will not tell you. Um, you know, what they will tell us is when there's been an RFP, what prices they've paid. Uh, they won't tell us who with, but we, you know, having Scotty over there, he's got his ear to the ground and we know, you know, we know where the pound is. What are, are they paying? To. 
What are they paying? We know uh, spot prices, yeah, but what I are they paying? Pay, I don't get paid. That, that's our, our little secret. What no, I can tell you is no it, but it's, it's a market thing. So, you know. You still got a three in front of it, mate. You still got a three in front of it, right? Of course there, it there does. Are people who are, yep, there are people who are doing, and, and I'll tell you what, utilities, while on the one hand they're happy, on the other hand, they're absolutely scratching their heads. And we said to one of the guys, well, are you actually concerned you may not get those pounds? And they said, yes, but it was a small RFP. So, you know, um, we talked to them about what, what did they think about, you know, going to be producers. Notice I didn't say want to be. These are going to be producers um, buying uranium now. And the reaction was ambivalence. It was, eh, we kind of get it. You know, we, we'd rather see more producers than more traders, um, you know. Uh, but what's important, Matt, is, yes, they are talking to lots of people, but they're also very clever and they actually know where people are on the approvals and the, the DFS, BFS, um, tenure, they know where they are in that timeline. So, you know, it's really important to us to say, well, look, guys, when when you are talking to people, here's a checklist that you should be thinking about, right? Tenure, native title, approvals, timelines, and, and they do, they, we, we spend a lot of time talking about that. No, and I, I, know, I know that, but they, 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 they've got a better sense of it than some of the companies that we've spoken to, quite frankly, because uh, yeah, they, 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 they discount, do. they've been around the block and they know what's real and what's not. So um, I, I understand all of that. What, I'm, what the market is trying to get is how they will play this. When you've got entrants like Sprott and, the, and, and well, the, the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, uh, which I think goes public in about four or five weeks or so, that's going to change the marketing dynamic. We've seen the supply come out of the market, obviously due to COVID, which has been huge. Yep. Um, yeah. And we know what the utilities' inventory levels are, are like. The bit we don't understand is sort of the, the, this mobile inventory number around the world. But in your conversations, does it give you hope that they do have a sense of um, when they're going to need to come into market? And is it going to be this year, do you think? As in start you know doing what? more RFPs? Um, well, obviously, people are coming into the market this year. We've already seen that with Duke Energy with a couple of RFPs, some quick, quick fire, rapid RFPs. But they're 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 really looking for price discovery. And they, these guys, so the sense I get is they're now preparing themselves. We know that they're getting into the conversion and enrichment side of things, which they tend to do. They tend to do that first, and then they bring in the uranium last. Um, they're getting the questions are getting more more specific about timing and pounds. Um, and I don't know the conversations we're having other people. I don't know who they're talking to. I, I assume every CEO is trying to talk to them. Um, but um, I just get the feeling that they, they uh, give us a lot of credence on, on the dates and the times and the pounds that we're talking about. So there seems to be it's almost as if when you're having this discussions, because you are doing it on Zoom, so at least you see some body language. The, the dialogue has changed since a year ago, since six months ago, in terms of the specifics about timing and pounds. How many pounds are you producing? What's your, you know, obviously they, want, they know that we're going to have a spread of customers. You know, are you guys happy with three customers? Do you want 10 customers? You know, those are really specific questions I've never had before. And they're really quite interesting because they know that we do the same thing they do. They have, you know, tranches of different customers. Um, you know, they layer everything in um, and they expect us to do the same. So the questions they ask us are, you know, how many customers do you guys need to get your banking? And, you know, what price do you really need? And so it's it's been a, 
it's been a different conversation than we've had before. Before it was high level, it was, hi, how are you? Here's where we are. They're saying, here's where we are. There's no real dialogue about specifics, but now we're starting to get into more. We're getting into numbers and dates, which is really interesting. Right. Okay. I think they're, they're, they're being as obtuse as, as ever, I suspect. Um, yeah. Well, they are. And, you know, we, we uh, I got to tell you, um, I know a few companies have marketing guys, boss have Sashi, and she's she's absolutely amazing. She's great, and yeah. the Paladin boys have, have a, uh, can't remember the fellow's name at Paladin. Um, a few of the guys do have marketing guys, but having having those, you know, and Duncan, and, you know, tell you the same thing, having someone like that in the States who are in the same time zone, well, particularly with Paladin, um, and and having weekly discussions with these guys, we we have a very, um, although the time they do not give away their timing. In fact, they don't know the timing, to be quite honest. Um, and COVID certainly threw them a bit because uh, they're all working at home. Uh, but it gives us a lot of confidence that you know we're in we're in the running. Let's put it this way, because when you look around the space, you go, well, who can really be in production? first half of, the, of this decade. Who really can be there? And there's not a lot. There really aren't a lot, right? So, and they know that. On the last half of the decade, the Fijians, the next gens, they'll start coming in. But first half of the decade, by 2025, there just aren't a lot of players who can be back in production. No, I agree, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to uh, look, say, we've got our views on who, who they're going to be versus the wannabes that are. Um, but that's not to say there's not a game, a game to be played in the markets at the moment with equities doing what they're doing. But look, Mike, I better wrap it up there because you've given us enough of your time today. I do appreciate it. Come on and say this more regularly. Now you've got some cash. Now you start doing some stuff. Let's do that, okay? Yeah, we will. So um, I promise you, Will, I, I miss seeing you in person. I really enjoyed our interviews, and I promise I'll be back a lot sooner, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.